Blog Talk Radio. Now, and Blood Talk Radio Show. NASCA is the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. My name is Victoria Kelly, and I am your host for this evening. My co-host is Annie, and we are scan number 3,199. That means we've got 3,199 episodes that are archived after today. So, uh... Tonight, I am excited to introduce you to our special guest. However, first, I'd like to tell you about, a little bit about NASCA and that we have a single purpose at NASCA, which is to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas and neglect, and we do so with only two goals. One, educating the public, especially as related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse. Presenting facts showing child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone. And then two, offering hope and healing through numerous paths, providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. Again, we are on scan number 3199. And if you'd like to be part of the panel this evening, please call in. 646-595-2118, and my co-host, Annie, will meet you on the back line and ask if you would like to ask a question or have anything to say during the show. We would love to have you join us and support our guests. And I'd also like to let people know that uh, we have this blog talk radio show same time on uh, five nights a week. So uh, you're welcome to join us uh, any one of the nights or go back and listen to any of the shows. Because like I said, they're um, they're all archived, and uh, we'd uh, love to have you call in. So our special uh, guest this evening is um, Sonova um, Cantrell from Missouri, an award-winning author, speaker, coach, and lifelong speaker of knowledge and wisdom. After a decade in the world of true crime and victim advocacy, um, Sonova has taken her 10,000 hours of study and entered the self-help field. Um, Sonova is a certified NLP life coach through the American Union of 
NLP. She's also the owner of Sonoba's Simply Biz Author Coaching Service and is an award-winning crime writer with over 300 cases under her belt. One of her books was even endorsed by a retired FBI agent. To top it all off, a flag was flown over the Capitol in Washington, D.C. to honor her cold case work. Now, Sonova is using her study and experience to inspire, motivate, and educate her audience. Sonova's life coaching includes elements of NLP, um, practical psychology, ancient principles, and biochemistry. You can now live a more abundant life and enjoy the journey. Can't wait to hear about that. (laughs) On these episodes, we welcome various co-hosts, survivor professionals, who will assist in fielding questions and lead a variety of topics suggested by you, our following participants. Um, Their trauma-informed perspective as survivor professionals will help them guide discussions on the issues of child abuse, trauma, and healthy human sexuality that um, spring from the questions and topics brought to you, um, brought to us by our listeners. And everyone is invited to engage on tonight's show. Um, And please visit the NASCA.org website which is N-A-A-S-C-A dot O-G. We have uh, 40 different uh, programs, and uh, we invite anybody who is a survivor. Um, we also have Facebook groups uh, for closed group and open groups. So we have a lot of interaction, and we also have three uh, Zoom meetings now a week on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays, and you can find out more information about that on the website as well. And if you know of anybody who would like to come on the show and tell their story, uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we have survivors. And then Tuesdays and Thursdays, if you know anybody that's survivor professional or professional that would like to share um, and how they're helping uh, either children or adult survivors of child abuse or any of the many issues that surround us. So uh, I'll go right to us, Sonova, and uh, thanks for coming on again, and we appreciate you coming on all the time that you do, and welcome back. Oh, thanks you. for having me. I appreciate you it. Yes. <laughs> yes, I appreciate it. Um, and I uh, want to give a shout-out to you. Uh, the listeners don't know that she has her foot in a walking book booth because she may have broke her bone in her foot, and she's still here. So kudos for her. She's here, she's in pain, and yet she's still that dedicated to you, our audience, to um, to help you guys and to bring you words of encouragement um, that shows you how dedicated the NASCA volunteers and staff are. If you need help, this is a place to be. It really is because um, this is the way everybody I have met um, over the phone, obviously, I haven't uh, got to meet anyone in person as of yet, but uh, everyone I've met has been the same you know, grade of professionalism, and I, 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 I love being a part of this. Um, so tonight I have a topic like I usually do. It's um, the power of words, but I encourage you, like she said before, if you have something you would like to share, if you have a question, if you would like to ask me something, uh, you can leave it in the comments. I do have three devices running. I will try to Text your comments, but I will tell you it may be lost in the shuffle. I will go back and answer your comments um, after the show if I miss you. But the best way to talk um, is to call in, and they have the number 
they're available for you if you want to call in and talk to us on the air. Um, so I will just let you girls jump in uh, anytime someone calls in and wants to jump in and ha have a question or a comment. Um, I'll just jump in with my topic and then I will give a little break here and there. I'll come up for air and uh, see if anybody wants to talk besides me. So um, mm -hmm. I want you guys to understand where I'm asking a question before you start. Um, yes. What is NLP? You've got that um, yes. uh, certified NLP life coach. I was curious what that certified. It is uh, neuro linguistic programming. It's one of those big long 50 cent words. Uh, neuro linguistic <laughs> programming. So basically, what it is is neuro um, is in the study of all of our nervous system. Um, linguistic is, is language, and programming is obviously how does language affect our mental programming. And so basically, I went through the study and the courses of how our language affects our our mindset, how our language affects our outcomes, how our language actually can um, can either better us or it can hinder us. Our language can actually keep us in that trauma loop over and over again. Um, and so basically, it is a really in-depth study on how our language, both internal and external, can affect our biochemistry in our bodies and our mindsets and how it affects our world around us. Um, so that's what neuro-linguistic programming is. Thank you. Um, yes, yes. Um, so basically that goes right into the topic, words have power. Um, some of you that have followed me for a while, you have heard me talk about how thoughts are things. Uh, I started out as a victim's advocate writing cold cases and true crime stories because I wanted to help victims get their stories out and get the cases solved. So I spent five years working myself to death, studying like a maniac, trying to figure out how to get my blog bigger, how do I get this bigger, 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 better, how to build websites, how to do this. I built this big, huge empire. Um, I got the, uh, I've got the, you know, I got the attention of Hollywood and the Discovery Channel and all this stuff. And the whole concept was I just wanted to help these hurting people. And I, I did. Uh, I encouraged them, I inspired them, I, you know, just to let them know that strangers care, you know, but I wanted to help them solve their case. I didn't have a badge, but I had a pen and I had a heart. And so I wrote as if it was my family member. I was very, you know, I was very careful with how I worded things. I was very careful, wrote from the victim's family standpoint. And um, I helped bring in leads that that helped solve four cases. And I thought I was doing a good thing until uh, the last one hit. And this is a, a woman that I care about deeply to this day. She had been working to help solve her brother's case for over 50 years. And the case had gotten so old that, that there was nothing really could be done about it anymore. But I helped bring in FBI and I helped bring in, uh, you know, witnesses and all these different things. And there was nothing really could be done. So I was like, okay, well, let's uh, bring in Hollywood to memorialize the story, you know. So he's going to live forever, you know, through the story. Um, but it's almost like I took away her identity from her. 
she had become a victim for so long that I took it from her. And here I thought I was giving her what she wanted, and I stole her very existence from her. And then she, I watched her spin out of control, and it was like she didn't know what to do with herself, and she started making the same old videos again. And then she fell off the Internet. And I turned to my husband, and I said, I hate this. I said, I don't think I'm helping these people at all. I said, I'm doing all of this study and psychology and trauma and, and, and coaching and all these things. But I'm not giving this to the people. I'm just helping them solve their cases. I said, I I have the tools to help this person, but I'm not giving it to her. I am just helping her with her case. And I and I told my husband, if she doesn't find a new purpose, if she doesn't move from that victim mindset and find a way to bring purpose to her life again, I said, I'm afraid she's going to pass away. Because she had she had been fighting for so long, and she was up in age, and she started getting all kinds of health problems and all kinds of – and now, quite frankly, I haven't heard from her. Nobody can get a hold of her. Nobody – she's not answering no calls. And I, quite frankly, am watching for obituaries. And I'm thinking, oh, man, am I helping people or not? And so that was the catalyst that made me finally cross over into coaching full-time because I'm like, I have, I have things that will help. And so that's what finally made me go, okay, enough. I, I, I've got to use what I have to, to, to help. And so I, 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 I told people, I was like, I'm not the standard life coach. I'm not that, that prissy got everything together. I am this no fluff, no nonsense, uh, no toxic positivity. Uh, I, I'm just no nonsense tips, real world tips on how to help real life situations and and I said so I don't know if I can even be a life coach and so that's where I started because I felt like you can't look at people that have been sexually abused as children you can't look at people that have been put through human trafficking you can't look at someone who is still got a missing loved one you can't look at someone who has a family that was a homicide victim look at them with toxic positivity and say, everything's fine, just be happy. It doesn't work. And that's not what right. these people need. And so I told, I tell people when they watch my videos, I'm not that kind of life coach. I have bad days. I've been going through some serious stuff lately, and I'm struggling with it. But I tell you, these are things that I've studied, and when I apply them to my life, they make a change. And so that's the, the platform that I come from. I'm not going to be some pretty, you know, everybody's perfect kind of life coach. Um, I tell everybody, I said, well, uh, I don't have my ducks in a row. I'm not sure I have all ducks. I might have a turkey and a goose in there somewhere. I don't even know where they're all at. Uh, but this is what I'm studying, and this is how it helps me. And uh, – so, but I, this is how I kind of got into coaching and how I started studying this. But the very first thing I learned that was so startling to me, you know, as, as well as I do, we've all known some people that literally get so sunk into depression that they literally grieve themselves to death, okay? And then we see some people that get into the same horrendous situation 
and yet somehow something within them it it turns a different way and they become a powerhouse and they rise like a phoenix and they take that pain and they they bring something new to the world to help other people with it and i'm like what is that what what makes that difference if this is the same coin what are you know which side is it heads is it tails what is that little element that makes that difference and how can i help people get to that and so that's what drove me to study and the first thing i found out was your thoughts dictate how your body feels your thoughts whether uh, they say some studies say you have a hundred thousand thoughts a day some studies say you have four hundred thousand thoughts a day now I have ADHD and my brains on hyperdrive all the time so I'm thinking mine probably is closer to the four hundred thousand thoughts um, and so I'm not sure somewhere in there but they say on average eighty percent of them are negative now here's what I didn't know we all know if you think on bad things all the time, you'll be depressed. If you think on good, happy things all the time, you'll feel better, okay? Well, that's a basic generic concept that we all just kind of ignore. Well, they have done some studies, and they have proven that every single thought, your brain either sends out good chemicals into your body or bad chemicals into your body. It's either sending out stress hormones or it's sending out peaceful, happy, healing hormones. And I didn't realize it was with every thought. And I thought, okay, so if cortisol literally starts to damage you inside over time, can you imagine going to the doctor and saying, hey, I need 80,000 shots of cortisol today, right here in this left arm. Let's go ahead. Let's get it started. It's going to take a while. No, we wouldn't do that. That's insane. But that's what we do with our thoughts. And so I started studying how our thoughts create this this chemical uh, bombardment in our bodies and how it affects our bodies and how it, an overdose of cortisol and adrenaline literally starts shutting down pieces and parts of our body and our systems. And over time, that starts creating all these health problems. And I thought, wow, okay, so thoughts, thoughts actually powerful. And then I'm thinking, okay, let's dive in a little deeper. And that's where I got to this topic, words. Words are powerful. Words have the powerful, the, the ability to change our perception of reality for better or for worse. Words actually have energy. They evoke emotions and they set the tones of conversation the power of words comes from our emotional response to them. Now, what we don't understand um, until you get to really studying some of this stuff, and I realize not everybody's, uh, you know, a dork fish like me. <laughs> uh, everybody doesn't study like I do. Uh, so I try to take these concepts and bring them down into bite-sized pieces. Um, but our conscious mind and our subconscious mind are both responding to words, whether we think we're paying attention to them or not. And so we automatically, our hippocampus is in our brain is like this big giant label maker, and it's constantly saying, okay, positive, negative, positive, negative. And so we hear a word, and 
if that's a negative, okay, so it slaps a negative label on it, and that ignites the fear center of our brain, and then our brain starts sending out cortisol like crazy, okay? And then we have a happy thought and happy words, and our brain starts sending out these good chemicals. We're thinking, okay, words are powerful. Got it. Nice. That's great. Well, here's the thing. We have, I have started doing some studying, and I have found out that the University of California did a report, um, and the, there was a New York Times article on it. Let's see, I'm looking through my notes here. Um, it was titled The American Diet, and it was written by Nick Bilton. I, I didn't write down the date of it. Um, but he quoted a University of California report, and he said the average American consumes 34 gigabytes of content a day. That's over 100,000 words daily. And 34 gigabytes of data our brains are consuming on a daily basis. Now, if you think about that and you think, okay, 100,000 words I am taking in, I'm going to say at least 100,000 more. So I've got 200,000 words here. And we know that most of them are negative. How much damage is that doing to our body? And then here is something scary as well. And this is something I wanted to really uh, bring home to this audience because it's so important. This audience has all been through trauma. Our body is getting the same trauma response because our subconscious mind can't tell the difference between an actual uh, event and a perceived event. So our body can't tell the difference of the actual event of, of the traumatic experience and the rehashing of it. So our, our subconscious can't. Obviously, our conscious can tell a difference, but our subconscious can't. So what happens? The subconscious sends out those same chemicals our body goes through the same trauma response. Now, you see how you see some people that are going through therapy and they have these, these terrible reactions to a certain, a certain sound or a certain, you, you know, you get PTSD uh, victims that have certain sounds that just trigger them and set them off and then they, they, it takes them so long to get focused and settled back down and their whole nervous system is just shaking. It's because their subconscious is actually triggered the same exact way as if it was happening again. And this is the reason why when I uh, was asked, you know, and, and I talked, I was interviewed uh, for this show the first time, I said, yes, I, I don't mind talking to people about their experiences and, and, and them telling their stories. I said, but I also want to talk about something they can do to go from victim to vitality. I also want to talk about something positive because I know that the subconscious mind, I'm going to blow your mind here, subconscious mind actually controls 95 of our existence. No, the first thing you think is like, oh, that's got to be wrong. Look it up. Prove me wrong. Look it up. Our subconscious mind controls 95% of our existence. 
Only 5% of our existence is actually cycled through the conscious mind. Then once you go through the same process two or three, four or five times, then the conscious will hardwire that process in and flip it over to the subconscious mind to try to increase the brain's efficiency, okay? So what happens is it's constantly trying to push over as much as it can to the subconscious, okay? So if the subconscious cannot tell the difference between the actual traumatic event and the rehashing of the traumatic event, it's going to send out the same trauma signals to the body, okay? See, we need to understand that our mind has a body. We are a mind in a body. I know that sounds very metaphysical, okay? We are a mind. We're not a body because you don't go introduce yourself as hand. Hi, I am hand. No, you have a hand. You have a foot. You have a face. You're not your face. You're not your hand. You have a body. You are your mind, okay? Your mind is controlled by the subconscious. So what we have to do is find a way to reroute those old trauma responses into something positive. So when you hear that trigger again, it reroutes a different way. And that is possible to do. That is, uh, that's the good news I have. It is possible to do. It takes some time. It takes some conscious effort. And it takes repetition. But this is what's so important. How do we do it? We do it by taking conscious note of words. What kind of words are we saying to ourselves? Now, we know that it's not appropriate to say certain words to other people. We know that it's not appropriate to say certain words to children. But yet, we will say those words to ourselves. We will say even worse words to ourselves. And this is where we need to really start taking note. What are you telling yourself? Are you taking the responsibility and the blame and the shame? Are you taking that and labeling yourself with it? Are you looking in the mirror and taking those words on yourself when those aren't your words? The guilt, the shame, the blame, all of those negative words, Guilt, shame, blame, those are all negative words. They all belong to the abuser. They belong to that person over there that hurt you in the first place. But here's the problem. We get into such a habit of not even paying attention to what we're saying to ourselves. And this is where we've got to take note of the words we are using when we talk to ourselves. When we look in the mirror, we need to speak positive over ourselves. We need to look in the mirror and say, hey, you're looking good today. Now that's something I have had a hard time doing. And this is something as a life coach, I probably shouldn't tell you. But the other day, I walked up and I got myself ready to go. And for the first time in my 43 years of existence, I said, hey girl, you're looking good. And then I'm like, What's wrong with me? You know, because, see, I was raised in a religious family, and they didn't tell me I was pretty. 
They didn't tell me I looked good. They didn't tell me anything like that because they didn't want me to get prideful or arrogant. Now, Mm -hmm. I don't think I'm the ugliest person on the planet. I think I'm pretty good at putting on makeup, you know. Uh, But the thing is, is they didn't know any better, but I've never been able to look at myself in the mirror, even when I was skinny and looked fabulous, I was never able to look at myself in the mirror and say, hey, you're looking good, girl. Never. So this is something I'm telling you. When I study these things and I apply them to my life, they work. And that's why I want to share them with you. So stop for a second, see if there's anybody on the line, and I'm going to get a drink. Anybody that wants to say anything? Annie, would you like to, I don't know if anybody wants to open their mic, and uh, we're just going to jump in here. I think we've got all the mics open. And uh, if the somebody mic, would like the to mic make a comment. Open. Okay. It was, was anybody else that would like to make a comment? Hey, guys. Cricket. Um, I love what you're saying, Sonova. And I like working with kids. I learned, you know, I I had an issue with one of my son's teachers because while walking him to school one day, he said, "Mommy, am I bad?" And I said, "No. Who told you you were bad?" And he said that his teacher did. And I had worked with her for many years, and, you know, I wasn't too happy about that. Um, And I I did have a talk with her, but you you tell children that they're bad enough, they're going to act out, because that's instilled in their mind. Yes, exactly. It sticks in their subconscious, and then they start to believe it, and then they will start to behave badly because they believe it and that's what they believe about themselves, so that's what they do. You know, so it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So she is literally creating something bad. And and all it does is hurt the child. It doesn't hurt the teacher. So that's a perfect example. Anybody yeah, and I like the fact that, you know, I like the fact that you um, that you stood up for your child and you said, "No, I'm not bad." And that child must your child must have felt safe enough too to ask that question, you know, um, because a lot of kids don't. They just internalize it and just keep it inside, you know. And uh, so right. it's, it's really great to have that communication at a young age. I found that with my children, you know, um, my kids were very open and stuff at that age as well. And uh, also when your kids see you advocating for them and protecting them, um, that sends them a message even more so, I think, um, about that safety that we all need and uh, the love and protection that, that kids should be getting in their homes, you know. And unfortunately, the home home is the most unsafe place to be, is what I say, because of the high percentage of child abuse that happens in the home. You know, they used right. to say the strangers did all the abuse, but now we're finding out that in the homes it was, you know, people in the community. So I'm glad well, you brought that up. Well, and the thing up, is, is when, when it comes down to it, um, 
the parents are functioning at their highest capacity and if that's their highest capacity we're in trouble as a nation you know because Mm -hmm. most people function at their highest capacity and i'm thinking what did they suffer to get that as their highest capacity you know and then you think it just goes on one generation after the next and it just builds and snowballs and snowballs i seen a thing on facebook that was really great um it showed um it showed a generational thing and it it showed a uh a, an older gentleman yelling at a slightly younger gentleman yelling at another gentleman at another gentleman and then it showed a break and it had one man on his on one knee holding up a shield and then he was speaking love to uh, another gentleman that was a little bit younger and then that gentleman was handing his heart to a little boy and it says break that generation of verbal trauma and i loved it because the thing is is where did those parents learn that where did they learn that they probably went through that themselves or worse you know and so we have to take that time like cricket did and we have to break that generational cycle we have to be the one that stands up and says no i will not verbally abuse or physically abuse my children i will not allow that to happen in my house i will not allow that to happen in my child's classroom you know and that that takes strength and that takes you know, um, a courage that, you know, some parents don't seem to have, um, but that is very commendable because, you know, so many kids suffer and their parents don't stand up for them. And it, it's tragic mm-hmm. because the child grows up thinking that, man, if my parent won't even stand up for me, I must be worthless. And, you know, so yeah. it causes so much trauma. And so anybody else have something to say before I go on to the next thing? Yeah. Well, I wanted to say something about, um, you know, a lot of people that I've worked with and stuff that are parents, and like you said, they're recreating that cycle. Um, they they have a belief that nothing can change, that they can't, yeah. you know, um, you know, they can't make a change. Um, and because, you know, some of us are just, living, for me, they're just living in crisis all the time. And I was just, you know, focusing on getting food, shelter, clothing know or surviving or whatever and there's no time to sit like peacefully and like you said think about these messages you know that that we're saying to ourselves and of course saying to others you know and we went through i've gone through different cult times like breast cancer and kidney failure and you know, of course abuse and homelessness um all these things you know and every time i've gone through some sort of an experience i just kind of like um, focus and think to myself, you know, well, I know other people have gone through this, you know, like you said, you know, some people, you know, just to get them done and other people seem to thrive and, and kind of yeah. ask myself, well, how can I do that? You know, and, uh, and bad things keep happening and something else happened, you know, and I started interpreting I was a bad person, you know, because bad things happen to bad people, you know, <laughs> that's one of the things that some people say, you know, but, um, but I kept, you know, going back to that and um, getting yeah. help and, and reinforcing, you know, um, in myself that I get through it. I mean, just that message, I can get through this and I can, you know, look what I got before. And, uh, but it's amazing that when something 
really devastating when it happened again. Uh, you know, I forget how I got on that last time, and, and I have to go through that whole process again, you know, of, yeah. of figuring out, wait a minute, you know, um, how to get through the last thing, you know, I, or remind myself I did get through the last thing, or I got through the last 20 things, or whatever it is, you know, instead of going, oh, my God, you know, I can't handle one more thing, you know. Um, and then also, like, when we're speaking negatively to ourselves a lot of time, we're speaking, and, you know, even by saying, like, you know, oh, God, it is something really stupid today. So we're not only reinforcing ourselves, but we're putting that out there in the world, and other people are picking up on that, and that's reinforcing yep. their beliefs on themselves, too. Exactly. So I just want to bring exactly. that out, too. So, you know, like, exactly. you know, um, taking love in and then, you know, um, putting out love into the world. You know, right. um, for right. me, that's important. You know, and another thing right. is my, you know, whenever I feel off kilter, um, I think about my mind, body, and spirit. And usually right. one of those is out balance of the other, you know, and, and right. I go, okay, wow, what's going on with my mind that's not, you know, like keeping me, you know, kind of stable and with all what's going on, you know, spiritually, you know, do I need to meditate some more or, you know, whatever it is right. I do, um, you know. Or or my body, you know, geez, have I eaten today? You know, right. have I drank enough right. water? Or what happens sometimes today? Sometimes, yeah, people don't realize what they put in their body is what their body is going to make their new cells out of. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, and every food has its own energy and its own, uh, you know, its own if you study this everything gives off energy everything is energy you know nothing everything moves nothing rests everything vibrates down at the atomic level if you you know everything that looks solid is actually not you know so all of your food has its own frequency and if you put junk food in your body you're going to get junk energy out of it you know you're not going to get the same high energy level out of out of you know fast food stuff as home prepared you know good quality vegetables right. and and you know products that you're going to eat you know and so uh, I mean it it you're perfectly right you know you you've got three parts to your being and you've got to pay attention uh, to figure out you know are you taking care of every part of it and that's absolutely true so yeah. I got one quick, one more quick question. Okay, so you talked about all these messages and that we have subconsciously. So I think I don't remember what the quote was or how much you quoted, but okay. So how does a person find out what those messages are if they're subconscious? Because a lot of people, are, well, that's all subconscious, so I can't do nothing about it. So I, I'd be curious to hear what your answer to that would be. Ask me again, because you kind of cut out. What'd you say? What the pictures in your subconscious? Okay. No. Um, if you've got subconscious, all these subconscious negative messages, and oh, yeah, you know uh-huh. you're trying to look at and to change those negative messages, um, and so people will say, "Well, that's all subconscious. How am I supposed to know what those things are?" So, how does a person Perfect. find out what is in their subconscious? Perfect. Yes, I love it. I love it. Um, I always tell people, and if you, if you look on my website, I have, I have a, a illustration about that. Uh, there was a self-help author, a psychologist, 
from back in like the 1800s or something that created a stick figure man that said, because uh, he was wondering what does the mind look like, and everyone wants to say it's the brain, and actually the brain is not the mind. Um, the brain is just an electronic switching station. It's an organ like every other piece of the body um, because you are more than your brain. And so uh, he was trying to figure it out, so he drew this circle, a, a big circle for the head and then a little stick man, and then he put a line through the center, center of the circle, and he, the top was the uh, conscious and the bottom was the subconscious. Well, of course, we just said that the conscious is 5%. And the, and the subconscious is 95, so I put that line way up top of that head. Um, but this is this is the thing, so you can kind of get a visual, and I, I tell you to go to my website and look that up, sinovainc.com, because that will kind of give you an idea. Um, a visual always helps when you're trying to figure out some of these things. Um, so here's the concept uh, that I want you to understand. When you have any kind of pre-programming, which we are all governed by pre-programming, whether we like it or not. We are pre-programmed by genetics. We are pre-programmed by the society we're raised in. We are pre-programmed by our, our parents. And generations back, we're pre-programmed. So there are some of it that we know of and some of it that we don't know where it came from, but this is where you find out about it. Everything that you go to do, you are going to feel. See, thoughts, it starts with thoughts, and then your thoughts change uh, your biochemistry, okay, because we talked about it sends out either that serotonin and all those things that your body needs, or it sends out adrenaline and cortisol, okay? Now, here's the thing. How do you feel? Now, if you've got negative programming running, you're going to feel it. So if something goes along and you're trying to figure out, okay, what is my negative programming? Start paying attention to how you feel. When you go and do a certain activity, did you want to do that activity or did you just always do that activity? Then ask yourself, how do you feel? Do you feel inside that you feel like your insides are just crunched up and you hate to do this, but you've always done it, so you got to do it? Well, that is a negative program. So what you want to do is take more time in meditation, take more time in quiet. You know, um, you know I say meditation and a lot of people think, oh, they think yoga and they think all this stuff. Just sitting still and being quiet until you can breathe deeply, until you feel your spine is straight from the bottom to the top, until you can feel your, heart, your heartbeat in your fingertips, you know, until you can feel your heartbeat in every part of your body, when you can sit that still, then you can start to feel things, okay? Then you're going to start to feel a little bit more uh, uh, of those pre-programs. So when you start to think about things, uh, how does it make you feel? When you start to say, okay, I'm going to go and and go, you know, I have a, a – um, a gratitude journal that I put out at Christmas time that said surviving the holidays with gratitude um, because we are feel like we have to do certain things at the holidays and it, we don't have to do those things at the holidays 
Now, our religion may dictate us and tell us to do certain things. Our our parents are our you know those generational programming things may tell us to do certain things. Our family may require us to do certain things. Our society may say things, but we don't have to do any of it. So here's the thing: How does it make you feel? Now. We always go to a certain family member's house on Thanksgiving. We go to a different family member's house on the Christmas holiday. We go to a different family member's house on the New Year's holiday. Um, I know some people have Hanukkah and they have uh, different holidays in between there. But those are my family's routines. Now, there are certain times where we're going to go to a certain family member's house that I get anxious. And I start to get I, I start to get grumpy, I start to get snippy, and I didn't even notice that I was doing it, and I had to check myself because the kids thought I was angry, and I really wasn't. I'm like, well, what is this? You know, my daughter's like, Mama, are you mad? I'm like, No, actually, I'm not. And so I started thinking. I'm like, I'm anxious. Uh, my chest is tight. I I feel uncomfortable. I'm kind of, you know, if I stop for a few minutes, um, I, I'm really kind of stressing about having to go to this specific place and see these specific people because a certain person is going to be at this gathering that actually traumatized me when I was a child. Okay? And so I'm thinking, oh, wow, that's a negative programming that I hadn't even thought of. All I knew, all my kids knew was mommy gets grumpy at the holidays. Well, now I know why. And guess what? I don't go. Real simple. You know, <laughs> I don't even make an excuse. I just don't go. And and it saves me so much, you know, anxiety and stress. I, I don't know how much cortisol I have avoided pumping through my system. And my poor kids don't get their head snips off because I'm not griping at them. Um, you know, unintentionally, because I wasn't angry. But if you pay attention and you start paying attention to your feelings, your feelings will tell you because feelings are a are actually a marker of what's going on in your subconscious and in your body, whether you really pay attention to them or not. I know in Western society, we're taught to just stuff those emotions. And that's the worst thing you can do. It really is. I mean, that's the reason why I had a nervous breakdown at 25, because I I was an overachiever stuffing all the emotions of childhood trauma and uh, didn't feel like I could talk to anybody about it. And so um, I hope that answers your question. Did that clear it up for you? And uh, I also want to mention something about um, people don't, you know, understand maybe triggers or whatever. So. You know, I beat my kids, you know, they want to go see Santa Claus, and I never knew why I felt so anxious about it. And, uh, you know, when I started talking about my child abuse and my therapy, my godfather, who also abused me, was played Santa Claus every year. You know, so that brought that back. But once I dealt with it with the therapist and stuff, I didn't have that anxiety when my kids, you know, went, went to see Santa Claus. So, you know, because I thought, I don't want to ruin my kids' Christmas or holiday or Mm -hmm. whatever it is. 
um, or right. experience going somewhere, right. doing something different, right. whatever, that, that my experiences were ruined. If they want to go, you know, mm-hmm. say to the, you know, um, say to the grocery store or something happened there or whatever, I don't want to move, mm-hmm. you know, ruin that for them. You know, like right. you said, to transfer right. that. And, and, and you, you would know, have if you hadn't figured out. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you would have if you hadn't figured out what it was. Um the only yeah. thing is, and, and um, I, I, I'm going to ask you something um, in what you just said to me. I want you to think mm-hmm. there's one little bitty word I would love, love, love for you to take note of and work okay. on changing. Okay? Okay. And I'm saying this from personal experience and with all the love that I can. Sure. It is not. Sure. No, I, I don't. I want you to drop the word my out of your vocabulary. Don't put it in front of trauma no more because it's not your trauma, okay? Because that is a label and you are taking Mm -hmm. it to yourself. Mm. And it may not seem like much, but you cannot release the pain and you cannot move from victim to vitality completely until you say, that was a traumatic experience. I went through that traumatic experience, but that's not my trauma. Okay? Oh. And so yeah, taking you. the my off will help a lot. Yeah. And then I, one other thing I want to say with just one word, too, is the just word. Like, I just mm-hmm. was abused by my stepfather, you know, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, that yep. I say, let's take yeah. a just word off, you know, because that's in my Abuse, <laughs> yeah, yeah, abuse is horrible and just seems to minimize it, you know, um, and and we don't want to minimize it. It's a horrible, horrendous thing. However the abuse happened, whatever degree of abuse it was, it was not deserved and it's not yours, and and uh, it, it, saying just, it's one of those words that seems to kind of minimize it, like it wasn't that big of a deal, and it was a big deal, right. and it was a big deal, um, but you came through that big ordeal, and you are more powerful um, than you realize, right. and this is where we want to get you to, because being being there, you know, being a parent, all those little words, I look back after I started studying this and I thought, oh, my goodness, how many words have I implanted into my children's subconscious not realizing what I was doing and, and how many have I planted in my own, you know, and, and so I... I I try to undo as much as I can, you know, but we can only work as, 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 as to the best of our ability. You know, like I said, everyone's trying to function to their highest capacity. So once you know, then we need to actively start, you know, and this is what this, this, this lesson is about. Words have more power than we realize. And so the concept is, is not to say that one word is worse or better or, or anything like that, or not to say don't do this or do say that. It is just to say let's take note of the words we use 
And if they don't serve us, then let's change them because we have the power to change the words. And we think words don't have power, but they absolutely do. Um, did you have something else you want to say before I went on to the next deal? Yeah, I did want to mention that um, I've talked to a lot of survivors that will come to that, you know, awakening or whatever that say, boy, I have mm -hmm. a lot of negative things to the kids and have a lot of regrets. And uh, I always remind them that you did what you did with the information you had at the time. And I said, yeah. I have a lot of regrets, but I realized that, you know, I was given really bad information and outright lied to. <laughs> you know? And yeah. that's where I was yeah. listening. So we need to be yeah. very kind and living to ourselves and say, for, yeah. like you said, now I know this, let's go forward, you know. So I just want yeah. to mention that, yeah. but I, okay. I'm interested in the things you have to say. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm just happy to have uh, someone that is uh, online that has questions, and I don't have to just talk to to the air for an hour and a half, you know, because uh, I'm happy to talk all, you know, but it makes the conversation more more uh, meaning, meaningful, and, and I think it gives it a little bit more depth for people that are listening and maybe too afraid to call or unavailable to call. Uh, and so I appreciate all of your comments. I, I really do. So I wanted to tell you guys, does anybody you know, else, it. does anybody else yeah. on the line? Does it, before we go on, does anybody else on the line want to uh, jump in and uh, make comments or um, ask a question before we uh, go on? Just jump in. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm good. This is it's just so interesting, you know. And and you know, like what Sonova was saying, like to to um, take certain words out of your vocabulary. Um, one thing I do, I also because I I'm a recovered addict, so I I keep in my mind certain things. Um, that if I I just lost my thought. <laughs> well, I know as you, when you're battling addiction, it does make a difference how you label yourself. So yeah. if you label oh, yourself I, a recovering addict, that means you're still fighting. If you label no, I, yourself I a recovered I'm, addict, I'm a re then you're I'm done. A recovered. Yeah, but I I realize what I wanted to say. That in in recovery, they tell you first you have to admit you have a problem. So in anything, first we have to realize that there's something we want to change before we can right. change it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly true. We have to realize, you know, once we can understand that there is an issue and that we have an issue to change, then that's the first step, you know, just awareness, I think, is the first step to, to before you can do anything. You have to be aware of the situation. Um, now, we mm -hmm. kind of alluded to this before. Uh, I'm not sure who I was talking to uh, when I said this. Um, but we had talked about, I think we, it was when we were talking about Cricket and her son asking about what the teacher said. Um, when we say certain things, we start to believe it after time. Well, 
there is an actual term for that. And it was first identified in 1977 uh, during studies in the Villanova University and then repeated and verified in the Temple University short time later. Now, it's called the illusory truth effect. It is actually found out that when the mind hears an absolute lie, when the mind hears this repeatedly, it begins to believe it. And it's called the illusion of truth. It's an illusory truth effect. When the mind hears an outright lie, if it hears it long enough, it will start to accept it as truth. This is where, uh, you know, you hear stories of brainwashing and things like that. When you hear the lie long enough, you will start to believe it. And then when you believe it and you accept that label as part of yourself, then you start to act it out. And so if you think you are a negative term, then you will start to behave in that negative manner. And so this is uh, kind of goes along with that, the, the, the illusory truth effect. You can look that up uh, sometime in your, in your uh, free time. But this is what I wanted to tell you guys about, that words have so much power. And if you don't think that they do, uh, there's a study, I'm going to look, I think it's 2019. I apologize for the rattling of my papers. Um, I always bring my notes with me. I know some people don't. But I like to have them with me because I don't want to misinterpret a, a quote or, or uh, tell you the wrong study or anything like that because I think this is, stuff is so important that if I misquote it, it could, it could change what it means and it not help you the way it should. So I take it very seriously. I don't just get on the radio and, and start blithering. I, I have six pages of notes here. So um, it's, it's very important to me um, that I, I get it right. So, uh, yes, it's 2019 brain imaging study. Now, what they did is they took p uh, patients that were in an, a significant amount of pain, either after a surgery or with a chronic illness or something. Anyways, they had a significant amount of pain to begin with. They hooked them up to uh, their, their brain with all the electrodes and everything, and they started watching uh, their, how their brain uh, reacted to certain things. And what they did was they had them look at a screen, and they flashed words in front of their face. Now, they flashed them fast enough that they just got them read, but they didn't have time to think about them. Okay? So this was just flashing straight to the subconscious. The conscious didn't have time to think about the word. So they flashed 90 seconds worth of negative, painful, horror-filled horror words. So um, every kind of trauma-filled word they could think of, they flashed it in front of these people's face for 90 seconds. Now, before the test started, they had taken uh, their little survey and the people had told what their pain levels were. Okay? Afterwards, they started watching, and when they uh, was reading through these flashing negative words, they literally watched the amygdala, which is on the back side of your brain, the amygdala is the fear center of your brain, okay? They watch that fire up like lightning and start immediately shooting the body full of adrenaline and cortisol, okay? Just from 90 seconds of reading painful words, okay? Now, after this was done, they went through and did their little testing again. The patients had their pain levels 
their perceived pain levels had increased 30 to 40% all the way across the board. Okay? What happened? Did their pain increase? Probably not. The same exact problem was still in their body. Their perceived pain levels had increased. Why? Because their body had just filled with cortisol and adrenaline. Okay? So their perception of pain had just increased 30 to 40%. Okay? So just by reading negative words for 90 seconds on a screen. Okay? So they did this again. Another day, new set of subjects, already in pain, same, same deal. But this time, they flashed happy, peaceful, loving words for 90 seconds. Every single one of them, they watched their brains fire up in different places in their brain, and it started sending out happy hormones, the serotonin, all of the, all of the chemicals that helps your body heal itself. Okay, the amygdala wasn't fired up at all. Okay, they went ahead and did their testing. Afterwards, everybody's pain levels decreased by 30%. So if you don't tell me, if you don't believe that words, that visual words are powerful, then you need to go read that scientific study and see how it happened. Because just reading words, uh, you know, really fast flashing words, change their perception of pain, either increased it 30% or dropped it 30%. That's a massive, that means 60% difference there from the highest to the lowest because of a word, okay? Now, we know that words are, are powerful, that words have started war. We know that words have ended war. We know that words have have brought love to a community, words have, have destroyed communities, words have, have changed the world, okay? But words have literally changed pain levels. Now, they've done some studies on professional athletes, and they have watched them and, and tested them however they did it. I didn't get into the details on how they ran the test. I just read the results. They read the results. They did, they gave these professional athletes affirmations. So they said specific affirmations, either positive or negative, before they went into the big game. And across the board, they all performed the same way. If they said positive affirmation, they played better. If they said negative affirmations, they had the worst game of their career. Every time. So they know for a fact that your words are going to change your perception of reality. So this is how powerful these words are. With our words, we implant our ideas in other people's minds. We either inspire and motivate or we help people focus. We have the power to heal and to help with our words or we have the power to kill and destroy with our words. There was a, uh, a, a case back when I was writing True Crime that I watched um, this teenage girl had harassed this boy with depression and anxiety um, and suicidal tendencies. She had verbally harassed him until he killed himself, killed him with her words. They took her to court, and she was found guilty, not of murder, but of manslaughter. And I'm like, good, because she actually did it. 
she harassed that poor boy till he committed suicide. So, I mean, we can literally heal or kill with our words. Mm-hmm. Now, I know this isn't a religious uh, uh, scenario, but I have to tell you this quote from the Bible. The word, the Bible says, let me see, I wrote it down because this is powerful. I read it and I was like, oh, my gosh, it says that? Um, and so let's see, how does it say it? Hang on. It says, it says, the power of life and death is in the tongue. Oh, it says, so we think that words aren't that bad, okay? In the book of James, it says, the tongue is a fire of hell. The Bible says that. So I'm sitting here going, whether you believe in the Bible or not, that's pretty drastic. The, the, you can literally kill somebody with your words, including yourself. Mm-hmm. So you've got to realize yep. that that thing in your mouth can either cure or kill yourself and others, can cure or kill right. your children. And so this mm-hmm. is where, I, you know, I like taking quotes from everything, so I hope that doesn't offend anybody. But uh, I thought no. that was so powerful they, that it, it, it applies the fires of hell to your words. I was like, wow. Yeah, and that's it, it's so true. <laughs> One of my Go ahead. I'm sorry. One of my Sunday school um, children, I I, I did uh, three to five-year-olds, and there's certain things I don't like teaching the little ones because they're too young to understand, and they they hear you say a word, therefore they get the visual in their mind. Mm -hmm. And um, we were explaining communion. Clearly the child could see that that was water in his cup not blood, but he cried because he didn't want to drink blood. Right. Well, and there's some things you've got, you know, it doesn't matter what religion you are, you've got to use some some common sense when you're dealing with children because they don't understand. Yes. Okay, so whatever religion you are or not religion you are, you've got to use common sense when talking to children, you know. Whatever whatever religion or non-religion you are, because children only have a certain capacity to understand. So uh, bringing yep. past that, I wanted to tell you guys, uh, we've got about 30, 20 minutes here, uh, but I wanted to tell you guys so drastic that I wanted to, to, to let you guys in on. We need to understand that words are constantly coming at us. So we talked about how we could say anywhere from 100,000 to 400,000 thoughts, you know, in our mind. Um, So say we'll say 100 just for continuity's sake, 100,000 words that we say, and then there's approximately 100,000 words coming at us from external sources uh, that we pay attention to, that we absorb 100,000 words a day. I want you guys to take note. And this is something that I've studied, and I I will put out some more blog posts. I have a book coming out called Whispers of the Mind, How Thoughts Become Things, and it's it's going to go into a lot more detail. But um, the words that we are hearing, the words that we are seeing in our daily environment still affects us subconsciously, okay? So I'm talking the TV, the news. I'm talking people, 
I'm talking social media. I'm talking music. I'm talking the environment around you is going to affect your subconscious. And it's going to cause you to either, it's going to uplift you or it's going to cause you to do those trauma responses. And so I want you to take a moment this week and I want you to think, what am I saying to myself? What am I saying to my children? What am I hearing? What am I seeing? What words are coming at me? You know, I watch the news and that was so negative. So let's cut the news out for a day or two. Let's let's maybe not spend so many hours on social media. Let's cut this out. Let's let's listen to some happy music instead of all of the negative. Let's you know, maybe let's not watch this horror filled thing that's gonna send me through this trauma cycle whether I'm paying attention or not. Maybe let's watch something a little bit a little bit easier. Let's, let's do something else because what's happening is while we are speaking all these words to ourselves and others, our subconscious is still absorbing all the words that are around us and we're taking it in and it's filtering through our subconscious all the time. And if we don't pay attention and we don't clean up the environment that we're in, if we constantly stay with a group of nonstop negative people, if we constantly stay and have the news blaring on all night long, all day long on the television, uh, you know, if we have all of the negative music we can find, if you have all of the depressing music you can find, you're not going to get over depression and get through depression and anxiety listening to depressed music. You cannot get through depression. It's a scientific fact. You will not get through depression and listening to, to depressed music. It's all on the wrong frequency, and you cannot do it. And so we need to pay attention to the words that are coming at us, as well as the words that are in our minds and the ones that are coming out of our mouth, because we don't want any of those words to be hellfire. We don't want that. We want them to be uplifting and life-giving and and positive and peaceful. And this is where we want to understand. So how, because I promised at the beginning of this, how can we do this? How can we make this better? If we can use words to build ourselves up, how can we do this? First thing, actively go on a negativity diet. Just spend three days. Have you heard of like a three-day cleanse or whatever? Go put, uh, give yourself a negativity cleanse for three days. Try it for 24 hours because sometimes that's hard. For 24 hours, I want you to absolutely stop being around that negative friend that refuses to say anything positive. For 24 hours, stop the self-criticism. For 24 hours, stop those self-deprecating jokes, you know, because those actually your subconscious doesn't know that you're joking. Your subconscious doesn't know the difference and has no idea what sarcasm is. So every time you make a joke about yourself because you're uncomfortable about something, um, your subconscious is taking it as as uh, as a put down. It's not. It's not. It doesn't understand. So, uh, and that's one of the things I always had to do because if I'm uncomfortable about something, I make a joke about it. You know, I'm uh, not realizing that I'm actually hurting my subconscious and putting more negative things in there. And so that's one of the things that I have to work on. Um, 
gossip and speaking ill of somebody else. Those are still negative words. If they're coming out of your mouth, those are still negative words. And this is one thing you're mm-hmm. thinking, but this person hurt me. Yes, they did. But by putting those hurtful words through your vocal cords, you're hurting yourself because it ain't hurting them. It's hurting you, you know. And so we want to make sure yeah. that for 24 hours, let's just take all that negative and try to throw it out. It's hard. It's not easy. It's hard. Let's think on positive words throughout the day I, as I much as we quick, can. Uh, I, want to interrupt you. I want to interrupt you for one more minute here. Um, I have a listener that texted me a question. Um, why is it easier to support other people as opposed to ourselves, and is this part of codependency? Yes, it is. It is, and it, it's easier to support other people because we don't have to face our own issues. When we're supporting someone else, we're not having to face the pain of our, of our own past. We're not having to face the, the responsibility for our own mistakes. We're not having to face uh, the, the trauma cycles that we, we put ourselves through. We're not having to do the work to reroute those negative patterns. We're not having to face that or put in any effort to better ourselves. So it's mm-hmm. absolutely easier to support someone else. It is slightly then, part so of codependency. Yeah, the word codependency, I'm codependent um, when somebody says that, or I'm bipolar. Um, mm-hmm. How do you feel about uh, labeling yourself as, as also, I think Erica was talking about, um, I'm an alcoholic, or I'm a recovering alcoholic, or I'm a recovered alcoholic. So there's, you know, I don't even different... like labeling it that way. If you want to know my honest-to-goodness yeah. opinion, I don't even mm-hmm. like labeling recovered alcoholic. Um mm-hmm. My father had an alcoholic issue when he was younger. He does not claim alcoholism at all. Um, For 43, 44 years, he does not claim alcoholism at all. That is a past label that he tore off, shredded, and got rid of. Um, Not everyone is able to do that, though. So I do not – I try not to – and that's the reason why when I was speaking to you earlier about the word my – um, I'm very cautious about saying anything to anybody because everyone is in their own phase of of recovery. Everyone's in their own phase of, of learning and growth and in their own spot, you know, along the road of their journey. And so uh, I never try to come at somebody harshly and say, you drop that word my right now, you know, uh, because you don't know that the word my is an issue. You know, now you know the word my could actually be causing some issues. So now you will actively think of that every time you say the word my, it'll slip out a few times and then you'll be like, you'll catch yourself. And then all of a sudden, a few weeks down the road, two months down the road, whatever, you will get to the point where you're like, oh, wow, I haven't said my in a long time, you know, and you'll know that you have moved on past that goalpost and it'll be on down to the next goalpost in your journey, you know, so it's one of those things. I don't personally label myself a a, a victim of anything. I don't personally uh, label myself that at all. Even though I went through some terrible, horrible victimization ordeal. Um, but it took me a long time to get there. It took me a very long yeah. time to get there. So, no, I don't actually promote calling yourself codependent. 
Um, I don't promote calling yourself um, bipolar or anything like that, although I still have an issue calling myself ADHD because that's something that slips out before I think, you know, um, and I've said that in this, this call, you know. So it, it's one of those things where when you get to that phase of ability to where you can say, this is no longer me, and take that label off and move past it, then you can throw it aside. But until you get to that point, it doesn't do any good for someone like me to, to uh, you know, to be harsh with it either. But, no, I don't think you should have that label. I think you're more than capable of moving past that label, tearing it off, and throwing it out. Um, but you mm-hmm. have to get to that self-realization. I used to say that I was, I was, but I am bipolar. And, you know, that's, um, it's like me saying I, I am cancer, you know. I'm not my diagnosis, you know. I would say I'm a, you know, I'm a victim of incest. And uh, my, my uh, um, therapist, you know, um, was, you know, to change the word victim to survivor. And now I change survivor to thriver. So, um, uh-huh. I can I can understand, and then you said you were in logistics, and uh, like I don't know what's your word for explaining language, um, how neuro linguistic you know. programming, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I listen yeah. to I listen to meditations, and and uh, a lot of the meditations are just very simple. You know, I yeah. am powerful. I am, mm-hmm. you know. And when I first started listening to that, my brain. Or like you said, you know, those flashes, whatever, you didn't have time to, like, analyze it. And uh, mm-hmm. you would say, like, I am powerful. And I'd say, no, I'm not. You know, or I think sometimes yeah. it wasn't powerful, you know. But mm-hmm. but as I do this, you know, and it says, you know, just listen to the words and repeat after me, you know, and, and let them flow into your subconscious, you know. And right. so it's like, you know, okay, I'm not going to try to react. <laughs> Yeah, or think it through. You know, I'm just gonna right. say the word. Right. Right. You know, and I mean, that's, that's the thing. Yeah. So, well, I go to sleep with this stuff a lot. Um, good. Because good. Well, that's a good be place. Right before you drift off into sleep, because right before you drift off into sleep, your conscious hasn't quite slipped into dreamland yet, um, and it's not fully conscious either. So it's like right there at that breaking point. Right there in that bridge between the two, that's the best time to get all of those affirmations in because it's like it slips past the conscious and that that what I call the BS filter where it tries to throw everything out and it goes right into the subconscious. And so that's the best time to do those affirmations um, because it, it goes in so much easier. Yeah, thank you. That helps. Yes. So, did that answer the question, I think? Yeah, and then I also want to make sure that that you um, spell out um, your website. Um, You know, I know you said your name and then, you know, what it was, but um, could you spell it out to make sure people, if they could find, make sure they could find your website? Yeah, um, it's called Sonova Inc. And Inc. as in like an ink pen because it was a pun off of Incorporated. So Sonova, S-Y-N-O-V-A, and then Inc, I-N-K, dot com. And then I have a free ebook that I give away uh, that I wrote the commentary for As a Man Thinketh, and I give that away. Um, so it kind of gives you a, um, a beginner's 
jump into this kind of study if you guys are interested in learning some of these things and how your thoughts really affect you. Um, that's a good book to start with, and I give it away for free if you sign up for my email updates. And uh, that oh, way you can kind of, yeah, so you can go to the com and get that signed up for free. It's under the freebies tab. Um, but I, I want to uh, make sure that you guys take this week or this month, because I'm on once a month, and really just think about um, – the words that are coming at you, the words that are coming from you, um, and and try to understand that they are affecting you whether you realize it or not. They really, really are. They're affecting your brain. They're affecting your body. They're going to send you either through uh, the trauma cycle again or they're going to send you through another uh, response. And, and those responses can be programmed and reprogrammed but it takes that first step, which is like what we talked about before. Um, it takes the awareness. And so this week I want you guys to really stop and think, is this word going to harm me or is it going to help me? Is this word going to motivate and inspire or is it going to harm and hurt? Um, I don't, you know, I, I, I'd like to say that I'm, I'm inspiring everyone around me all the time. Um, but I have fibromyalgia, and it's one of those things that I'm trying to actively get rid of. It's one of those labels that I want to get rid of, um, and and I'm actively working on ripping that one off. But it, it, there's days that I don't feel good, and there's days that I, I'm not going to be one of those toxic, toxic, positive people that says everything's wonderful and sunshine and roses. It's not. Life is hard. And there are going to be bad days, and especially if you're going through these trauma cycles over and over again. And this is one of those lessons, one of those topics I want you to write down. Even if you have to put it on your bathroom mirror, write, what are the words that I'm saying? What words am I saying? You just write down the word words, you know, anything. Um, if you need more peace in your life, just write the word peace. Because just seeing the word peace, you're going to get that little bitty dose of those happy hormones, you know. And, I mean, if you're getting 80,000 doses of bad hormones, that one little dose is going to help, you know. And so you never know. You might be one dose of cortisol away from a heart attack, and that little bitty dose save your life. I don't know. So I say write the word peace on your mirror. It could be something that vital. We don't know how far or how close we are to the next, you know, health issue. Um, but I want you guys to actively think about these words and try to, when you are down and when you are feeling to the point of despair, I want you guys to stop and think, okay, what are the words I'm thinking about? I am, I am, I feel depression today. I feel anxious today. I feel down today. You know, whatever the feeling is, go back and think, okay, well, what have I been thinking about? What have I been listening to? What have I, you know, what have I been doing that is causing me to have this trauma cycle again? And I guarantee you, if you go back and listen to the words you've been saying or hearing or visualizing 
um, they have been negative, and the majority of them have been negative to the point now you're starting to feel it in your body. All right, we've got seven minutes left. Uh, is there anybody on the line that wants to say something? I'm sure you guys are tired of hearing me blither. I have Bajit, I think is how you say his name. He's online. He's from India. Thank you so much for listening. I am so thankful. And Billy and Jamie, they've been watching through my Facebook page. Thank you, guys. Anybody else online? Hello? I'm here, Sonova. This is Annie. Hi, Annie. Hi. I, I have a comment on the power of words that I wanted to share. Okay. Okay. So um, when I was in the fifth grade, I had kind of a mental breakdown, and I was unable to speak for a while because I kept getting strep throat over and over and over again. I was out of school for almost a year. And I think that was my body's way of saying, don't tell. Yeah. Yep, yep. It probably absolutely was. Was was you uh, traumatized just before that? Yes, yes. It started. The incident started when I was little. Mhm. I guarantee you that's what it was. Yep. Yeah, because see, your body, your body is going to go through these cycles, and your body is is. When you're being traumatized, your body is going through so much trouble because cortisol, we've got a couple minutes, I'll try to uh, tell it quick. Your body has got a fight or flight mechanism that's only supposed to last for a few minutes, okay? When you're fighting off a bear, your body fills with cortisol and adrenaline, okay? Those are the two stress hormones that we've talked about tonight. Well, what happens in your body when that happens is, it stops digesting food because who cares if you digest your hamburger if you actually uh, get killed by a bear. So you stop digesting food. Your kidneys and your liver stop uh, filtering out toxins. So you literally stop uh, filtering out the toxins out of your body. So they stop working and all those toxins start backing up into your system. So we all know that that's going to cause problems. Well, if that's not bad enough, then your, your, all of your cells stop reproducing. So literally your muscle tissue stops rebuilding muscle tissue. All of the dead cells and all of that is not being regenerated into new cell tissues and things. So you're literally not rebuilding muscles. You're not rebuilding lung tissue. You're not doing that. All of your oxygen in your blood is going to your, to your lungs and to only part of your brain, okay, to the sphere center, okay? All of the critical thinking still size of your brain is starting to get oxygen deprived. So literally your body is shutting down except for your arms, your legs, your lungs are overworking, your heart's overworking, and then the fear center of your brain. Other than that, everything else is shutting down from the inside out. That's only supposed to last for a couple minutes while you fight off that bear or you run for your life. Unfortunately, we have 100,000 thoughts a day, and 80,000 of them are most likely negative, and so we are constantly filled with those stress hormones, and they're not supposed to be that way. So that's the reason why our livers go bad, our hearts go bad, our lungs go bad. We get all of these inflammation 
uh, problems, and then we start having this health problem. We have heart attacks. We have strokes. We have all these things, and it all goes back to the inflammation buildup because we have an overdose of stress hormones in our body, okay? So this is the mm-hmm. reason why I'm saying we really want to focus on the words because we're killing ourselves from the inside out because we're so high stress. Thank you. Anybody else have a comment before we go? I think we've got two minutes. Did Victoria get off in cricket? Yep. In cricket Still here. Um, Still here. Yes. Um, I, <laughs> yeah, I wanted to remind everybody that we're on uh, uh, five nights a week and uh, we have a uh, uh, Zoom meeting um, Tuesdays. Um, Thursdays and Sundays, and I want to quick um, just thank everybody and uh, thank you for um, being our guest, and thank you everybody that's been on the panel, and continue to support NASCA um, by um, taking advantage of all the programs that we do have, and supporting yourself, um, and giving yourself all these positive messages, and, and just continue to, to grow, and uh, you deserve it. We deserve uh, all the best of life. And we're going to close out with the music. If I can get that played. Annie, could you play the music for us? Another tomorrow. Because that's all.